All right, so how's everybody doing? Everybody's good? So here's uh, something I came across recently. A little boy opened uh, the big old family Bible with fascination. He looked at the old pages as he turned them. Suddenly, something fell out of the Bible, and he picked it up and looked at it closely. It was an old leaf from an old tree that had been pressed between the pages of the Bible. So he runs to his mother and says, Mommy, look what I found. And she says, What do you have there, uh, darling? Uh, Kunju, uh, 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 Raja, what do you have there? And he said, with astonishment, he said, I think I found Adam's suit. Only some of you are laughing. You can explain it to the other ones who aren't laughing. Well, guys, as you can see, that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. And it's sort of on the heels of uh, last week's message, because how many people remember what the message was from last week? We talked about delighting yourself in Jesus, yes? Okay, give me really quickly the five ways that we mentioned that we can delight in Jesus. Practicing His presence, exactly right. Practicing His presence, that's not just a thing for Sunday morning, it's for any time, everywhere, because practicing His presence leads us to having encounters which are life-transforming, and that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? We want to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So that's number one. Uh, Practicing his presence every time, everywhere. Uh, next, what's next one? Confess, repent, forgive. Yes. Right. Uh, confess, repent, forgive. That is for every every relationship, human relationship or with God. Those three components are fundamental for any meaningful, healthy, ongoing, deepening, burgeoning relationship, right? You have to be able to, to confess uh, our faults to each other. We can uh, repent. We can ask forgiveness. Otherwise, we have very superficial relationships. Number three, what's the next thing? Personal study of the Word. Come on. You can see where my excitement lies. Personal study of the Word. I, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll share some more to, today about that. Number four, hanging around people that are like-minded, people who are hungry for God, who are pushing in together, because uh, the famous phrase is, choose your friends, choose your destiny. If you want to have a life that's burning with, with passion for Jesus, you have to hang around people who are like-minded. Seems pretty obvious, isn't it? And then fifthly, take risks with God, Yes. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, uh, building relationship with him and listening to his voice, learning to, learning to hear his voice, and then responding to what he says. Because it's not enough to hear, right? We have to act on what he says. Because that's where the growth, that's where the history with God actually develops. You get to build your own testimony. You get to tell people a story of how God has worked in your life as you responded to his voice, right? So... Those are the five, things, five ways that we delight, and that's all under the, 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 the canopy of us learning how to delight in Jesus. 
celebrating who Jesus is, finding enjoyment in him, finding fulfillment in him, finding satisfaction in him, because uh, that's what it's all about. In fact, the equivalent New Testament verse, uh, so that verse is obviously found in Psalm, Psalm 37, 4, the New Testament equivalent, I would say, is uh, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord, love the Lord your God. Right? And there's another verse that, that comes to mind from the New Testament, which is Matthew 6, 33, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things can be equivalent to the desires of your heart. So where shall I live? Am I going to have a roof over my head? I have food on the table? Am I going to have clothes, clothes to wear? All the things that we all continually are concerned about, Jesus says, if you seek me first, if you seek my kingdom first, everything else will find its rightful place. And Psalm 37 has to do with, with uh, I mentioned the, um, the two groups of people in, uh, in Psalm 37. It's the, the wicked people. The Bible call, the Psalm calls them the, calls them the wicked people. And that doesn't mean the people outside the covenant of God. He's speaking to the covenant people of God. He says the, the wicked people are the people who try to fulfill their needs or meet their needs in their own self-effort. And they end up doing trickery and everything else. But the righteous people are the ones who trust in God, who delight in Him, who commit their ways to Him. And when they do that, ultimately... He meets them, and fundamentally and ultimately, he himself is their greatest reward. Amen? Amen. So that was last week's message. So on the heels of that, I want to talk about um, how does God guide us as we, as we continue to build relationship with him, as we continue to seek uh, the Lord, uh, because you know, um, based on the prophetic words that we've been receiving, and based on what we feel in our own heart, this is a year where we're going to emphasize um, encountering God, delighting ourselves in Jesus, having encounters, life-transforming encounters with God, life-transforming encounters with Jesus. Because who wants to say, who wants to, who wants to become more like Jesus? Let's, let's keep it positive. Who wants to become more like Jesus? Anybody want to stay just the way you are? All right. Right, so, you know, we, we happen to, um, I'm just going to mention this, we happen to find out that uh, Mark DuPont, who's, a, who's um, sort of a friend of ours, he was um, speaking at the, in fact, he's there this weekend, he's, he was speaking on Friday night, and uh, so we went to see Rachel and Joy at the school, and then we, we realized that Mark was there, so we stayed a bit longer and spent the evening with him. And during the service, the Friday night service, he actually um, prophesied over us. And one of the things he said, uh, by the way, just in case you don't know, Mark DuPont is the guy, he's a, he's a prophet, a recognized prophet with a long track record of, of healthy, solid uh, living and good prophetic words. You know, most of them come to pass, all right? Um, and and um, so Mark said to us, he said, that I really believe that for you guys in Scarborough, that uh, the harvest is now. The harvest is now. It's not six months from now, not a year from now, not sometime in the future. The harvest is now. 
And so I said to myself, Mark, you are a man of the Bible because the Bible says 2,000 years ago, the harvest is now. Remember that? John, John chapter 4, Jesus says the harvest is now. So for the last 2,000 years, the harvest has been now. So we don't have to wait for something extra to come. We ought to be ready to receive the harvest. Who's ready for the harvest? Because everybody is saying, all the prophetic voices that we've been listening to are, are saying that this is the beginning of the great harvest. Of course, we, we've been saying that for the last two, two million years, but this is the year when the harvest is actually coming in. Are you ready for the harvest? Do you know what it will look like when the harvest comes in? We don't know either. We'll find out. But the harvest is coming. So here's my point. As we get, as we get ready to go deeper with Jesus, uh, we, we have to learn, if we don't know already, I'm sure we all have stories of how God guides us, but I want to give a very simple message on five ways that the Lord guides us. You guys ready for it? How does God guide us? Well, yeah, let me ask the question, how does God guide us? Let me hear you. How does God? Hmm? Through his word, beautiful, hazy, Anna, the, the Bible people in the, in the group, lovely. Dreams and visions. Wise counsel. Have you been reading my notes? Still small voice. Proverbs. He, he speaks to us through the Proverbs. What else? Prophecy, yes. Peace. Very good. These are all very good answers. I'm going to give you, and there are many more than five, obviously, but I'm going to give you five which are sort of like sort of a categories, overarching categories. Everything that's been mentioned so far can fit into one of those five. Okay, so these are five general ways, overarching ways that God speaks to us. And the first way, because uh, you know I'm, I like my Bible, so the first way is His Word. God speaks to us through His Word. Everybody say amen. amen. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What an amazing psalm. It's, it's, it's the longest psalm in the, in the whole Bible, so you can take a... Anyway, it's a, it's, uh, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I don't know if we really grasp the imagery of this little statement because, you know, you, in 21st century Toronto, you can flick the light on and the light's on. There's never a moment where anything is dark anymore, is it? I mean, we live on Young Street, man, and there's no way that it gets dark enough for us to sleep properly. But anyway, when this thing was written, when this psalm was written, 12 hours of the day was actually dark, pretty much, maybe 10 hours of the day, absolutely dark. Black, jet black, dark. You can't see anything beyond your nose. All right? So when the guy says, your word is a lamp onto my feet, what, what the imagery is, is that they would have little, little containers uh, filled with burning stuff that, create, that creates both light and warmth. Uh, yeah, light and warmth. And so they would have it and they would walk with it if they have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. All right? They, they would take this thing and they would be able to see just in front there. And then they walk the next step, and then there's a little bit more light. So your word is a lamp. So the analogy is your word is like a lamp to my feet. 
Otherwise, I'd be stumbling around in the darkness of this life with no direction, with no sense of where to go or how to go. Your word helps me see the path before me. So that's the imagery. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, you know, um, 500, we just celebrated 500 years ago when the great Protestant Reformation happened with Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and all those, those, these great men of God who, um, through their lives, a massive earthquake in the spirit happened, in, actually in society and in, and in the spirit, where, um, uh, you know, there was a, three things happened. Three things happened. There was, first of all, a rediscovery of the teaching or the doctrine of justification by faith. And we are sitting in this room 500 years after the fact. We're sitting in this room because of what happened then. And so, so, so justification by faith is rediscovering this biblical truth that, listen, people, you can't work enough. You can't put enough effort in in order to gain salvation. You can't buy indulgences. You can't do this, that, or the other. Those are all good things to do, but those things can never lead you into uh, acceptance with God. And the great and glorious news is that God wanted, uh, wanted us so much. He, he, he was desirous to have relationship, relationship with us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son into this world to die on the cross. A horrible criminal's death, horrible punishment in his body. And he received that death. He died that, 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 and then three days after, he rose again from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. And through that act, those actions, he has created a way, God has created a way for every single human being to be in right relationship with him again. Our response to that is to simply say, yes, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your cleansing. A number of years ago, when I was with, um, with uh, a mission agency, I heard this story, and it tell me it's a true story, actually. It's something that happened in Texas. And here's, here's the story. Um, this, gir this, this girl was driving her car, and she um, uh, broke the speed limit. Cops got her, and so she ended up going to court. And she, so she's in, it's the day of the court, she's in the court, and the, uh, the judge with his you know, judgy clothes on, he announced or he pronounced what the, uh, what the um, fine should be, what the penalty is for breaking the law. She broke the law, she's got to pay the penalty. So he announced it, whatever it was, $500 you have to pay or whatever. And, and then the judge um, took off his robe, came off of his bench, and he went with this girl to pay the fine on her behalf. The girl happened to be his daughter. So here, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. The punishment for our sins, your sin and my sin, is penalty of separation with God. 
That is the just punishment for not uh, being in right relationship with God, right? But God is so loving and gracious that he was willing to send himself in the sense through his son Jesus, he came into this world. God was in Christ reconciling the world. It wasn't that Jesus was, was separate from God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And the invitation is open to every single human person. So the question would be, well, what about other religions? What about, what about the other groups of people that, that believe something else? Well, listen, this is the question, this is the answer I want to give to that. Because I asked the Lord myself, Lord, can you give me something in the scriptures that would root my conviction that Jesus is absolutely unique? He's distinctive from every other system whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or atheism or whatever philosophy it is, Jesus is absolutely unique and distinct. And so I'm looking at the scriptures and I read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that, in that place of Gethsemane, which is a garden that he would go to with his friends late at night. They would sleep there, etc. But the word Gethsemane means the place of crushing. That's where they would make oil from, from the olives. And it's in that place where the Gospels say, all uh, three of the Gospels say, that he uh, cried out to the Lord three times. He cried out, Lord, if there is any other way, let this cup, meaning what was just going to happen to him on the cross, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It speaks about blood uh, pouring out of his body. And it drops of, he's sweating drops of blood. Uh, he's in anguish. Uh, the book of Luke says that he fell with his face into the dirt because of the anguish he was, he was feeling in his spirit because of what he knew was going to happen to him in a few short hours. And so my conclusion from, from reading that is this. If there was any other way for humanity to be redeemed and to be reconciled to God, Jesus would not have died on the cross. But because there was no other way, no other good works, not enough good works that we could do, not enough meditation, not enough praying. Not, there's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to meet the righteous, perfect, perfect standards of God. And Jesus is the one who did it. And the glorious news is that he's offering to us his success. He's offering it to us free of charge. It's going to cost you your life, but it's free of charge. Amen? Uh, so that's the message. Let's go home now. <laughs> that's what we're about. This is my, as I said last Sunday, um, uh, I've believed this message since I was 14 years old. And um, I recommitted my life to Christ last year of university in Halifax. Um, and it was in that context that I actually began to really reflect and think about, you know, in a more... Um, uh, which? In a much more um, reflective sort of way. Is this really true? Is this really true? Is this Bible really true? And I actually went on a, on a, on a, um, a, a course of study where I, first of all, examined is, uh, is the New Testament 
Are these documents reliable? Are they trustworthy? Not as the Word of God, but as historical documents. Are they good enough for us to put, for us to believe that what's written there was actually reflecting the truth of what happened? And my conclusion was, yes, they are histor historically accurate documents. So based on that conclusion, I, I had to figure out, is then this the Word of God? Is this really true about who Jesus is? And my conclusion is yes. I believe this since I was 14. I was even more convic convinced about it at the age of 24 when I was in, in, in university. And for the, since that time, I've given my life to this message. And I will give my life to this message for the rest of my life. Because I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is absolutely the most gorgeous, awesome, loving, gracious, most powerful, most kind, most glorious God that there is. And there's no other like Him. There's no other God like Him. And He's worthy of our praise, worthy of our honor. And we find that in the Scriptures. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a very famous a preacher back in the day. He was sort of like uh, England's uh, Billy Graham. He was a very good speaker, and pe people drove, uh, came to him in droves. And he said this about the Bible. He says, uh, like a lion, the Bible doesn't need to be defended. It needs to be let out of its cage. I love that because... Yes, we do. I do believe in, in, in explaining to people who have genuine questions and trying to bring clarity because the Bible is a, it's an old book and there's lots of, you know, it's, it's not the easiest book in many ways to understand, or parts of it anyway. But, um, but so it has to be clarified and explained and, 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 and so on. But I believe with all of my heart that the Bible itself, those words on the page, those words on the page actually have power in them. And if we just open the book and read it, even if we don't even understand it, just read it, something is going to happen on the inside. Because Hebrews 4:12 says that the Word of God is living and active. It is like a two-edged sword uh, uh, tearing, uh, tearing asunder uh, bone and marrow and da-da-da. Essentially what it's saying is that it gets to the heart of the human person. The great Luther said that the Bible is like a mirror. You put it up in front of you, and you get to see who you are in, 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 in the mirror of the gospel, in the, middle, in the mirror of the Bible. You get to see, it re as you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. So, I want to tell you a couple of quick stories of, of why I believe. By the way, one more thought. When we get our own building, okay? When we get our own building soon, when we get our own building, hallelujah. I know that the worship guys will want, to, for, will want us to have uh, worship music playing in the sanctuary 24-7. That's cool. That's awesome. But also, at some point, I also want us to have an audio Bible just playing 24-7 as well. Uh, because there's power in the Word of God. Uh, where was I going with all this? Oh, yes, I have to tell you some stories really quickly. Um, just, just, the, the, just letting the Bible out, just letting him in, that, let the Word of God impact people's lives. Some of you know that I was part of a, of a ministry um, uh, called Operation Mobilization. They used to have two ships. They have one ship now. And I, that ship was my home for 13 months. Not in that condition. It was actually alive and sail, sailing. 
Um, uh, that ship is called the Logos. And that ship uh, sank at the very bottom of South America. And, um, and so here's the story I want to tell you. Uh, they had to abandon ship. I had, left, I had left three months prior to this event. And um, uh, so they had to abandon ship, and they had to leave all their personal possessions behind. Like, everything was lost. When you abandon a ship, you, have to, you can't go back and get anything. That's maritime law. So anyway, they, they, they had Bibles, they had personal effects, everything on the ship. And so this was in Chilean, in Chilean waters, the country of Chile. And um, so, what the, so the Navy took on the ship. And what they began to use it for is uh, diving practice for their Navy divers. Okay, so, so they would go out to the ship and they would do their stuff or whatever. And there was this guy by the name of Roberto, who was a Navy diver. And he went to the ship and in the, in the um, not the submerged, submerged part, but in the part that's above the water, he found lots of interesting personal things, okay? Some of them were books and some of them were Bibles. So he took the books, he took the, he took the Bibles, the Bible, and he brought them back home. He gave the book away, the books away. He opened up the Bible, began to read the Bible, and got saved. Yeah. He became a follower of Jesus. And I know that in truth because I heard him with his own lips telling me that story a few years after when I was doing, working with, with another ship, the other ship uh, in France. He gave a testimony of how he got saved. He went, he went to do his Navy diving stuff. He found these things, opened the Bible and read it, and he got saved. Uh, one more story. Um, uh, just not too far from where this happened, there is a, a country called Uruguay. Montevideo is the capital. The ship was there, and um, this is a period when, the sh when that ship or the ships would go around South America quite a bit. So within a space of two years, it went to this port twice, port in Uruguay. And um, second time round, um, this guy comes on board and he says, I would like to meet the captain, please. I have to talk to the captain because I have to tell the captain a story. Um, the, he, he didn't get to see the captain. He, went to, he, got to, he saw somebody else. But he tells the, the leader this story. Two years ago when the ship was here, I actually came on board and I stole a Bible. <laughs> and... I took it home, I actually began to read it, and I became a follower of Jesus. And so I'm coming to tell you now, two years after, because I want to pay for the Bible, <laughs> but I also want to tell you that I'm in training to become a pastor. Wow. That's a, this is just the, the, the power, two simple stories, I can go on and on about the stories of how God uses the Bible to transform people's hearts, transform people's lives. Amen? I mean... This time is already running out, for heaven's sakes. So, the Word of God. But, but be doers of the Word, and not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. I stopped in the middle of telling you about, um, you know, um, Luther. Three things happened that caused this great reformation in, in the world that happened in Europe, and the earthquake, the, 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 the ripple effects of what happened in Europe has spread all throughout the whole globe. And there are three things that happened. The justification by faith, the rediscovery, that we get saved by putting our trust in Jesus and no other way. 
the uh, second thing happened, Luther began to translate the Bible into the language of the, of the common person. Because prior to that, only a very, very few uh, elite group of people could actually uh, have the Bible, for one thing. There were very few copies around. Um, and it was only written in Latin or some of the ancient languages. So very few people could understand it. So Ru Luther translated the Bible into the normal language or common language. And then the third thing was the invention of the printing press. And because of that, the printing press was sort of like the internet of the day, right? So, so, so now, the Bible in the common language of the people could be spread abroad where everybody has access to the Bible now. You, I hope you understand, up until 500 years ago, only very few people had access to the Bible. How many Bibles do you have in your room, in, in your house? Like 10, 15? I have at least 16 Bibles on one shelf in my, in my, in my, in my place. I'm saying, that, I'm saying that to say this. I, it's almost like a tra travesty that we have access to the Bible in such an incredible uh, way, but yet so many of us uh, um, have difficulty reading it. God has orchestrated this incredible thing, the invention of the press, the, the, the translation, the discovery of faith in Christ, and, and yet we somehow... Um, you know, I talked at Christmas time about, we see it so blatantly in the Christmas story, all the, the I'm not talking about a Santa Claus bit, I'm talking about the sort of Christian-y part of, of Christmas where we talk about the nativity and the three wise men uh, of Orient are wearing, bringing gifts, we travel so far, cool songs, but not really based in what the Bible teaches. And, and we have to re rediscover what the Bible says, man, what the Bible says. What the Bible says. Come on. Hallelujah. Well, let's, let's keep going. The second thing, the Spirit, the glory of God, Shakabumbu. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons of God. I underline sons of God because I want to make a point. And it's simply there's some English translations, especially contemporary ones, change it to children of God. And what they're trying, what they're, what they're trying to do is sort of make it more um, relevant to contemporary society where it really isn't talking just about the male of the species, right? It's referring to those who are led by the Spirit are really sons and daughters of God. And the point I want to make there is simply this, that uh, if we do that, when we do that, and I think we're justified in doing it too, if you want to you know, make it clear to contemporary society, but also we miss the fact that uh, uh, theologically speaking, there's a deep theological point here. Because when the Bible calls us sons of God, it's harking back to the idea that the firstborn son in a family had extra favored privileges, right? So when the Bible says that you are a son of God, it means that you are super awesome, super uh, privileged to be a son of God. You're not just a regular son of God. You're not number two son or number three son. You're the number one son in God's eyes. So you have special honor, special favor over your life because you're in Christ. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Come on. So uh, for who are those who are led by the Spirit, so in the context of being guided by God, He leads us by His Word. As we study it, as we read it, He speaks to us. He speaks to us by His Spirit. We are, we are prophetic people. We are 
we're a church of the Spirit, so I won't, I won't take too much time on this. There are a myriad of ways that God speaks to us by His Spirit. We, we know His thoughts, right? We, have, we do courses on how to hear the voice of God, and, we, and we'll do some more soon. Um, but, but, but God speaks to us in our, in, in our thoughts. Um, he speaks to us even as we read the Word. He speaks to us through prophetic voices, people that we trust. And there's a whole ton of ways that God speaks. I want to tell you one story about how God speaks to us through dreams. Somebody mentioned dreams. Um, a number of years ago now, I was restless, restless. I was working as an accountant. And the, my favorite definition for an accountant is a calculator without personality. A calculator without personality. So I was doing accounting work. It was for a nice Christian organization. It was, you know, it was a good job. But I was restless and bored, and I was unsatisfied. So I began to pray, as sometimes I do. And I was praying, and um, God, can you give me some direction? What, 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 what should I be doing? What's my next step? Should I, be, should I stay here? Or is, is this restlessness you trying to get me to, to move, or what? And so I'm praying, and I have this dream. And in the dream, I am walking along this beautiful green path. It was in, sort of in a valley type of thing. And there's mountains, green, beautiful mountains, really beautiful. It's green and peaceful and wonderful. And I'm enjoying myself walking. But as I keep walking, I end up on a precipice. I keep walking and bam, all of a sudden, like, the, like you do in dreams, bam, I'm at this precipice. Right? So the only way forward is to step forward. So I turned around to go back, and the precipice is there. This is in a dream. The precipice. I turned to the left, the precipice is there. I turned to the right, the precipice is there. So essentially, it's like I'm on a pinnacle now. Okay, I'm standing there, I'm, and the only way to get off of that place is to step in, in one direction or the other. In the dream, folks, in the dream, a movie, oh, a secular movie, comes into my dream. And it is the, um, what's wrong with you, lady? Um, Indiana Jones and the, the thing, one of the Indiana Jones movies, the Holy Grail, right? And so, so, he, so he, he got to the, he was trying to find the Holy Grail, correct? And um, uh, the Holy Grail was, was over there. And between him and the Holy Grail was a massive chasm, all right? And, um, but he realized from some clues that the way, the way to get over was just to step forward. And as he did that in the movie, uh, a bridge that was always there showed up. As he put his foot forward, he actually landed on a bridge. Okay, so what's God saying to me in the dream? It's pretty obvious, Right? You take a step, and I will, I, will, I will provide the way for you. I'll provide a bridge for you. Okay? So I did that. I, I, I quit my job. I, I tendered my resignation. And within uh, three months, I began to work at the airport church. So I, I guess that felt like a dull thud. But anyway, <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing, God leads us by, in, in our dreams, so be attentive to our dreams. I have to say that I haven't had any like really God dreams, I don't think, recently. But at very important moments in my life, God is, that's how we got married, by the way, based on a dream. Not only based on a dream, but a dream was part of it. 
So dreams are a great way that God leads us. One more thought about this. Uh, uh, because we are a prophetic people, and Elsie is leading the, the, the prophetic team here. And one of the things I love that our prophetic team does is that they, they make sure that whatever prophetic word they give to people, they try as best as they can to link it to a scripture passage. Because if, if whatever, whatever prophetic word is given, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, either directly or indirectly, that you know, the, the, the the timber of Scripture, the, you know, the flow of Scripture, if it doesn't line up with that, well, then you have everybody's permission to throw that word out because it has to line up with the Word of God. Amen? So because the Word of God is the voice of the Spirit of God. Amen? Okay, next. His church. Whoever thought about that? Whoever thought God guides us through His church, through His people? Oh, my gosh. I thought I could just, it's just me and God, nobody else. Well, listen, God guides us through his people, okay? Those are two verses from the book of Proverbs. And if you want a, a New Testament example, the book of uh, Acts chapter 15, when, uh, when uh, Paul had, had come back and reported to the, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem about how God was, was bringing the Gentiles into the kingdom, um, they had a big kerfuffle. What do we do? Do we make them get them circumcised? Do they have to become followers of the law? There's a long discussion. So they, they, they pulled all the people together, all the uh, church together, and they listened to everybody share their, their thoughts. And then ultimately, after listen, listening to everybody, Peter stands up. Peter, the leader, stands up and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And so that, that's my point. Whoops, sorry. Guidance. A couple of quick words, of thoughts about guidance. When you're looking for guidance in a specific area, I would recommend two things. Well, maybe three things. First of all, you make sure that the person you're getting advice from is somebody who is reasonably stable and sound and wise. Uh, secondly, somebody who knows how to hear from God. And then thirdly, uh, it would be great if they have a track record of success in the specific area that you're interested in. So for example, if you're concerned about finances, you want to make investments, or you want to know if tithing is good, well, talk to somebody who has some money in the bank. Okay? Does that make sense? If you, want, if you have a relationship issue that you want to discuss, talk to somebody who has a reasonably healthy relationship going. Not somebody who's, you know, okay. Yeah, so is, is my point made? Yep. It's smart. It's, it seems like a, like, like a no-brainer, isn't it? But it's actually, it needs to be said. If, if you want advice, get advice, get advice from somebody who, um, yeah, who knows what they're talking about, who has a track record of success in that particular area. If you want, uh, if you want to find a job, talk to Hugh Latif. <laughs> If you want to know how to do a resume for, for, for the Canadian market. Okay. His peace. I'm going to go fast now. We're at 12.30. Uh, that the peace of Christ. I use the amplified version, which I hardly ever do, because the amplified version is really the, uh, the, the gospel for the hearing impaired. Okay. That the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace, 
indeed, you were called as members of one body. I'm sure you, have, you all have stories of, of you know, being led by the peace of God. And so I wouldn't say too much about that. Next thing would be, finally, his signs. I love this one because you can ask God in the context of relationship with Jesus, you can ask him, Lord, would you give me a sign that what I'm doing or what I'm about to do is the right thing? You can ask. Uh, a, a quick example is um, when Abraham sent out his chief servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. Sends him back to um, his family, and the servant, as he's going, he actually prays to God, and he says, uh, Lord, can you, uh, Abraham's an amazing guy, I love him a, a lot, uh, and I want this to be a successful mission. C can you help me to find the right person? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm, I'm going to ask you for a sign. Can you help me point out the right lady for Isaac? Can, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When I, when I meet somebody, when I meet a lady, I'm going to ask her to give me a drink. And if she says, I'm going to give you a drink, but also take care of your camels, that'll be the one. And that's exactly how we found Rebecca, because she comes to him almost, uh, even before we finished praying that prayer, the Bible says, Rebecca comes, and he talks to her, and he asks her for a drink, and she says, I'm not going to give you a drink only, but I'm going to help your camels as well. And so that's how God very clearly orchestrating the circumstances of all that, helping him with the sign so he could know this is the one that he, Isaac uh, was meant to be married to. Another example is Gideon's fleece. Everybody knows Gideon's fleece, right? Gideon was a, was a felt, he saw, he's like many of us, he thought he was a victim because uh, he came from a bad uh, tribe and all the rest of it. Um, but God says, mighty man of God. And then he looked around, who me? Um, and God says, uh, okay, I want you to go and fight those guys. Those are bad guys. And I'm going to give you victory. And then um, 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 Gideon says, how will I know that I'll have victory because I'm weak and blah, blah, blah. And can you give me a sign? And let the sign be that I'll put a fleece down, a sheep's skin, I'll put a fleece down, and if everywhere else it has dew on it, but not the fleece, I'll know that's, because that would be sort of contrary to natural laws, right? It would have to be supernatural intervention for, for every place else to be wet and it's only, only this place dry. And that's what happened the next day. That's exactly what happened. But he, was, he wasn't uh, content with that one sign because he needed further encouragement. So he said to God, can you do the, can you do the opposite? Can you make the fleece wet and every place else dry? And God did it in his graciousness and goodness. God gave, fulfilled both signs for him. And that's how he knew that he was supposed to go and fight uh, the, in, the, in the army. So asking for a sign is a very cool thing to do. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Here's a New Testament example. Remember when Judas died? And uh, the 11 remaining apostles said, we need to find somebody to replace Judas. Um, and so... It was a combination of things. They whittled down. So it's, first, first of all, they figured out that we have to have somebody who has been an, eye, an eyewitness to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. All right? Because of what's going to happen in the future, they've got to be able to really be 
ready to deal with this stuff. So they've got to be somebody who's seen the resurrection. And so that was their criteria. And then they looked among themselves, and they picked out two guys. Um, one guy's name was... Um, uh, one guy's name was um, something... Barsabbas, which means son of the Sabbath. And then the other guy was Matthias. And so they prayed. It says they prayed. That's the point I'm trying to make. They prayed. It wasn't just a willy-nilly deal. They were asking God, can you give me a sign? Can you help us? We need help. Can you show us? Can you give me a sign? And the Lord, um, and, and then they cast lots, and the lot fell on uh, Matthias. Is that cool? Is that a cool story? We can, we can ask God for, for lots still. We can ask God. You know the Moravians? Anybody know the Moravians? Yeah. Amazing group of people in, in Eastern Europe. And they were a, a, a tremendous missionary force. But one of the things that they used to do is they would actually cast lots to see who would go to the mission field. They would pray uh, a lot. And then they would ask God, can you tell us which one of our people should be going to the mission field? Um, so anyway, signs. I want to tell you one more story before we close. And here's a negative sign. That's a Volvo. GLE 760 GLE. That's not the same car, but it's a replica or an you know, image of it. A number of years ago, my... My car, my, my Toyota, my trusted Toyota Tercel was on its last legs, and so I needed to get a new car. And so I, um, a friend of mine told me there's this car for sale. And, um, you know, now I, I, you know, it's back in those days, I, I liked Volvos because they're reliable, yeah. they're sturdy, etc. So I thought, what a fantastic car um, to get. And so I prayed, God, if this is the car, uh, please make it clear. If this is not the car, can you put a stop to it? Show me a sign, because I need your help. Because it was going to be, a, you know, it was going to empty my bank account basically. So I need to make, I need, I need to know I'm doing the right thing. And the Lord showed me a sign that this was not the car. He stopped the thing. He stopped it. He showed me a sign that that was not the car to get. And being the man of obedience and faith, I went ahead and bought the car anyway. <laughs> and it was the worst decision. I still feel the pain of it 20 years after. I still feel the pain because I had to spend, and we were just getting to know each other then, I had to spend so much money on that piece of junk. My gosh. <laughs> so so, so here's, a, here's a teaching point. Ask for a sign when the Lord gives you a sign. Be, be obedient to what he's saying. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So in response to all of this, uh, this is, um, again, this is all in the context of us, you know, just going deeper with Jesus, uh, uh, learning how to walk with him. You know, we're all at different stages, so we're going in, deep, in deeper ways with him. So here's what I'd like us to do, just to take a minute, if we can all stand, and just gather together in little groups, two or three people, and just simply um, tell a story of how, of how God has guided you. Give a quick testimony in 
two or three people and groups of two or three is share with each other a quick story of how God has guided you in one of those five ways and then pray for each other that God would continue to guide you and deepen your relationship with Him, that you would know how amazing He is in every way.